Thanks for joining us on this week's episode, where we continue to discuss the Best Picture nominees from the 83rd Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. Back in 2010, Mm -hmm. continuing... If people didn't listen to the first one, we (laughs) looked at the 10 nominees and we created a little bracket via our Rotten Tomatoes system. We discussed all of the losers of those matchups last week and we are back to discuss the winners. Yes. So we treat our second episode like a normal episode. We will go through the winners and decide if we are either mad that they won Best Picture, if they did, or if we would have been mad if they had won Best Picture. Then we will talk about all of our ones that we would have been mad about and then leave the the end for the ones we wouldn't have been mad about. Coming to a conclusion on what should have won Best Picture this year. Hell yes. Our winners this year, first one, Toy Story 3. Would you have been mad if it won Best Picture? No, I would not. How about you? Same here. Also a no. Mm. In the next is Inception. Would you have been mad if it had won? Yes. Same here. Okay. Then we have True Grit. Would you have been mad if it won? Yes. How about you? Also yes. And The King Speech. Would you have been mad or are you mad that it did win, I guess? Yeah. Same. And then finally, Winter's Bone. Would you have been mad if it had won? Yep. How about you? Also a yes. There's only one winner of these five and we all know what it is. Well... We'll talk about it when we get to it. But first, we have to talk about all of our double yeses. I think saving the King's speech for Mm -hmm. last of our double yeses. That sounds correct. So we should start with Inception. Tell me about it. Inception is a movie set in the future in another world. A little unclear. In In a world where people can go into each other's dreams to extract knowledge from their brains primarily seemingly for corporate espionage. So we meet an extraction team made up primarily of Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They are trying to get an idea out of a Japanese businessman's brain named Sato. He's played by Ken Watanabe. They unfortunately are not successful because one of their team members really screws things up. Womp womp. But it turns out okay because Ken Watanabe wants to offer them a job. And he was really testing them to see how good they were at extraction for their job. He wants them to not do extraction, but do inception. Ooh. That's the name of the movie. It is. Where instead of taking an idea from someone's brain, they plant an idea in someone's brain. It's much more difficult because as Joseph Gordon-Levitt tells us, the mind can always trace the origin of a thought. Leonardo DiCaprio, who's the main character, Dom, is sure that they can do it. And he has additional motivation because he is essentially on the run from the United States law enforcement because they think he committed a crime and he can't come back into the country. And he really wants to because he has two young children who he would like to be a parent to again. And so he says that they can do it and they agree to incept this other businessman with the idea that once his father passes away, he should break up the company. They're sort of monopolizing, I think, energy systems, and it's putting pressure on Sato's company, so he wants the guy to break up his dad's monopoly. Mm -hmm. 
And so the movie is essentially a heist. They have to put together a team. They need to get a new architect, someone to build the dream, because Dom can no longer build the dream for reasons we'll discover. And so he goes to Paris to his father-in-law to get one of his best students, Ariadne, to come in as an architect. They have Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing all the background research. They need a forger, who is Tom Hardy. They need a chemist, because they realize they're going to have to put multiple layers under in the dream. So they get a mm-hmm. chemist. and then say. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sato exists, insists on coming into the dream with them. And so basically, if they're able to successfully incept this guy, Dom will be able to return to the United States. And it unfolds over the course of the movie that what happened is he was working alongside his wife, who was basically haunting his subconscious. And in order to get her to leave limbo, which is this place where you go like too many layers into the dream and then you can't really get out. Very dangerous. Put an idea in her mind that the reality they were in wasn't real. But when she woke back up, that idea persisted. He incepted his wife and she ends up committing suicide while framing him for her murder so that he'll commit suicide alongside with her since he won't be able to go back to the children anyway. But instead, he's gone on the run. And basically, over the course of the movie, they successfully incept this guy. Sato's able to make the call. He gets back into the country. There's a little bit of question of like, is he the person in the dream? Is he still dreaming? I don't know. But yeah, that's Inception. Sure is. I mean, it's. I think it's fun. It's, as you said in our last episode... It is a very interesting and cool sci-fi idea, which has become more and more a rarity these days. It's a really fun world in which to play. I love the structure of a heist movie, so that's always fun. I think the cast is pretty good. I always love Tom Hardy. I think this is my first time seeing Tom Hardy. It occurred to me as I was rewatching it. And I was like, that probably was a boost that I'd never seen this guy before. And I was like, who's he? He's cool. Yeah, Tom Hardy. It has all your the people that Chris Nolan loves. Killian Murphy's the guy they're incepting. Tom Hardy's there. You got some cool folks. I think as you go deeper through the sort of heist story, it starts to be the kind of movie where like you probably shouldn't ask too many questions. <laughs> Anytime I start thinking like, but like whose dream are we in and how is this working? I was like, don't ask, don't ask, don't ask. It doesn't need that. The movie doesn't need that from you. I have always found the ending to be, I think, a little bit too cute. People really fell in love with the idea of the open ending. And I was just sort of like, okay, it's an open ending. Is he in the dream? Isn't he? I don't know. Who knows? But that became, I think, a major selling point of the movie in a way that just personally irked me a bit. That's not a fault of the movie. I think that the storyline with Maul, who's the dead wife of Leonardo Mm -hmm. DiCaprio's character, is very interesting, works very well. I think that story tracks and makes sense as his motivation works all the way through i think some of the interpersonal stuff going on on the team the new team doesn't work as well for me this new girl that they brought onto the team ariadne is the one who ends up sort of figuring out what's going on with dicaprio's character and saying like here's what you need to do to fix this you have to bring me along even though i'm not supposed to come so that i can be accountable for you and i just find her to be like weirdly overly confident about the nature of the issue and what its solution is when she has literally just learned about dreams and is not like a psychiatrist (laughs) and she comes in and is like here's what you gotta do and I'm like okay girl like you're an architecture student and then they sort of hint at some sort of 
romantic something between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Ariadne's character, but in a way that's never really seeded or followed up on. There's just one scene where they're like, was that flirting? Or like, what was that? (laughs) I just found that to be a little weird. But I think generally, it's like a fun time. It's an action movie. It carries you through. And the idea of the dream thing is certainly interesting enough for it to be worth watching. Like, that's a neat, neat idea going into people's dream spaces. And I love Tom Hardy. I'll say it again. I will say it again. He's. I dull. mean, I'll let you. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine to love Tom Hardy. It's totally cool. What are your thoughts on Inception? I mean, I love Inception. I like Christopher Nolan a lot. He's like really preoccupied with time. Yes. And I'm like, same, man. I'm with you. I am also preoccupied by time. It's weird. And so, yeah, I think his interests just align with sort of my interests. And I... I enjoy that his movies are like little jigsaw puzzles often they click together in a way that I find very satisfying to my brain and I think to your point this is a movie about like the ending being too cute I think this is a movie where people will be like oh it's so smart it's so deep you gotta be smart to understand it and I'm like I that's not what I'm saying no, I didn't. I wasn't trying to put that on you. I'm just no, saying I, there was kind of a cultural conversation yes. about it where like, oh, if you didn't like it, you just didn't get it. And right. you're like, nah, it was quite clear. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not saying you're saying that about me. I'm just saying, yeah. again, in response to people yes. who say that. But I do think, right, there are types of brains that like doing jigsaw puzzles and there are mm-hmm. types of brains that don't. And it has nothing to do with your intelligence. It's just very pleasurable to me when all the little pieces click into place. Sure. It relaxes my brain. I think there's just so much stuff in this movie, which is so cool. I think everyone looks great. I agree with you. I think the dynamic between Arthur, who's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Ariadne is weird. But I love the dynamic between Arthur and Ames, who's Tom Hardy. Well, absolutely. And so did everyone else. That Mm -hmm. The two of them who speak like three times in this movie spawned a whole fandom of people who want them to be together. And you know what? I support you. They've got the good chemistry, chemistry. is there. The chemistry, they should have gone with that, man. So I love them together. There's just some iconic imagery in this movie, which I really enjoy. I Let's think there's some talk great about imagery. about the hallway. The hallway fight scene is incredible. I appreciate the practical filmmaking of Christopher Nolan. I am not a person who's anti-CGI, but there is just something very impressive about, again, the puzzle of like, how do you do this in real life? And him figuring that out. And the hallway fight scene is just the epitome of that and it's still so cool i mean obviously it looks good it's practical it looks practical great. effects never age they don't yeah. start looking bad because they're real they really did that it looks awesome it looks so good and yeah similarly you're watching people problem solve things go wrong with the heist as they always do in a heist movie and you get mm-hmm. to watch arthur be like how am i gonna drop you without gravity and you're like yeah how are you gonna drop them without gravity and then he figures yeah. it out and you're he like sure does you know i love it when eames says to arthur you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling that's one of my favorite parts the classic line movie Annie. i love it and i will say as much as i do tend to agree like the relationship stuff and Chris Nolan movies don't always work for me. I think the Mal one did when they got to the end and they revealed that they had grown old together and you see the parallel scene of them holding hands on the train tracks, but now mm-hmm. they're old hands. I got a yeah. little, I got a little verklempt. I, I think like, oh. it's nice. I think that storyline works. Yeah. And I also, I loved Killian Murphy's acting when he goes into the safe at the end and he finds that pinwheel and he has that moment of catharsis. Killian Mar- like, Murphy is... An excellent actor. We all know. 
yeah, I don't know. I just I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great original idea. I think there's some awesome practical stunt work. I dream of the day a man will say to me, shall we take a look at some paradoxical architecture? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, let's do it, man. Why not? I don't know that it's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, but to be fair, that is a question I find difficult. Well, we'll continue that conversation as we watch more Chris Nolan movies for this podcast. I also just want to say, I think it's really fucked up that Ariadne goes peeking around in his brain against his will. I just, that is like, that's an invasion. That's the biggest invasion of privacy that I can imagine. And she's just like, oh, let me pop right into your brain. And I'm like, God, this is horrible. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. That's Inception. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's our next movie? Next, we are on to True Grit. Oh, tell me what happened in True, True Grit. True Grit is not original. It's a remake of a, a John mm-hmm. Wayne Western. We should remake those. We don't need to watch the John Wayne one. <laughs> no. It's interesting because well, there's a lot that's interesting about this. I did watch it back in the day. So this was a rewatch mm-hmm. for I've me. I've seen this one before as well. As I think people are know at this point, we're not huge on Westerns. So I don't think I had super high expectations when I watched it at the time. But it's sort of one of those things where it's like, it's the Coen brothers. So you sort of expect there to be something a little interesting about it, not straight down the middle. And it's it's um, an interesting watch. So let me, let me run you through <laughs> it. Drew Grit is about a girl. She's like, I don't know. What is she like? 13? How old is she supposed to be? 14, I think. 14. Whose father has died. He was killed. And she wants to bring justice to the guy that killed her father. So she comes on her own out to this small town in the West where he's been. And she tries to hire a marshal to take her out into what is like Indian country, basically, Mm -hmm. to, to track the killer of her father. And he doesn't really want to take her because she's just some kid and he's not really that interested in this. But she ends up sort of, she's very strong willed (laughs) and she badgers her way into accompanying him. Meanwhile, there's a Texas Ranger who is also on the trail of her father's killer for other crimes he committed in Texas. He also ends up tracking him. And for a bit, the three of them are together tracking this guy through the wilderness that doesn't really work out because none of them get along with each other (laughs) so Mm -hmm. eventually the texas ranger splits off from them but he the presumption is is continuing to track the same guy so we're on these parallel tracks of looking for this guy they sort of get close to him occasionally they come upon this group of criminals that he supposedly was working with and they're trying to use them to track where he might have gone off to And the Texas Ranger reappears, ends up getting into a conflict with that gang and gets himself injured. So the three of us end up together again, basically, after that goes poorly. They still are hunting the guy, but it's looking less and less like they will be able to find him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, they do, through basically her sheer force of will, end up finding the, the guy. She comes across him one morning and he takes her hostage. She tries to shoot him, but her after she shoots him once, her gun misfires and he takes her into his custody and he's there with his gang of criminals. There ends up being this face off between those criminals and both the marshal and the Texas Ranger, who at this point have both bonded with her and feel great affection and don't want her to be injured. And so they end up defeating the criminal guy who killed her dad and mm-hmm. she has now formed this lovely relationship with the two of them. And the end of the movie is we flash forward to her as an adult and she 
is trying to go see the marshal who she hasn't seen in many years because he is traveling with this like show <laughs> of like guns showmanship mm-hmm. or something and so she goes there to see him but unfortunately he has just died so she doesn't yeah. get to see him again but they had this lovely meaningful relationship and yeah that's it- I think it's worth adding right at the end. She falls into a pit. She gets bitten by a rattlesnake. And so he's rushing to get her back to a doctor. Mm -hmm. And then she's passed out by the time they reach the doctor. And he's left before she wakes back up. So they never really like say goodbye. Yeah, cathartic moment Mm -hmm. about the time they spent together. Yes. (laughs) So that's True Grit. What are your thoughts? I like it. Mm -hmm. I think... The performances are all great. This is Haley Steinfeld's debut. We should she say. slaps. She slaps. She slaps hard. Mm-hmm. I think Matt Damon was robbed of a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Yes, I find his character so interesting, and his <laughs> performance of the character so interesting. Yep. And I really think he should have been nominated for it, which we can talk about a little bit more. Jeff Bridges is always great. He's Jeff Bridges. He never misses. He's Come Jeff Bridges. On. And yeah, it's an interesting story. You know, I think it's engaging the whole way through. I think it is wonderfully sort of emotionally ambiguous at the end. I leave the movie and I'm like, how do I feel about any of this? Mm. I I don't know. (laughs) Where am I? What's going on? Where am I? But I like it. I like the experience of it. Cohen's. What what are your thoughts? Uh, I really like it. This is one of the more pleasant western experiences i've ever Mm -hmm. had i think i like the the sort of cohen stuff that's helping to carry you through really works like the dialogue is super snappy and interesting there's this great scene where when it's become just jeff bridges and her for a bit they're walking through the woods and he is just like talking and talking and talking about all of his relationships, the various women he's married, the things that have happened to him in his life. And that contrast between this sort of iconic version of what you would think of as a John Wayne Western character who's laconic to an extreme. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there's just movies of people silently sitting and supposedly experiencing their feelings, I guess. And this is like the complete opposite of that. He just talks and talks and talks. And you're like, this is fascinating. He's a really interesting character. I agree with you. Matt Damon's Texas Ranger is just delightful. He's (laughs) so good. And they're all excellent they're all given like so much fun stuff to say and do you can't help but be entertained through it there early on there is a great courtroom scene i Mm -hmm. love a courtroom scene but this one is excellently done where she asks around who are the best marshals and she hears like well this one's okay this one's really good but he, he he's really by the book this one is like a mean son of a bitch and she basically is like that's the one i want so yeah. she goes to his trial where he's testifying and i loved how they did the trial of the the like it felt really realistic and the stuff that's happening is cool and he's being challenged on his practices as a marshal in a way that i feel like I'm glad someone is challenging him because he's certainly <laughs> just going around murdering people with impunity. Yeah, shooting people in the back, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it carries you through. The pacing is good. You never really feel like you're just sitting around doing nothing, which can happen a lot in movies where people are just wandering through the woods <laughs> looking for someone. And I think their relationships are really interesting. It ends up being this fascinating 
like you imagine it as kind of a paternal thing but she's so much you know her own person she always feels kind of an equal to them but there is this really interesting bonding that happens between all three of them eventually that's that's just lovely it's pleasant the emotional stakes are great and they work out and it's entertaining to watch and the dialogue's great and the performances are great cohen brothers cohen's so matt damon's character matt damon is playing this texas ranger and like he is so putting on the show of what a texas ranger is supposed to be and he's so clearly deeply insecure and so desperately wants this young woman to look up to him and Mm -hmm. see him as a hero and he has to be a man, you know, he has to play into all of the things a man does. And it just, it ends up expressing itself in such interesting ways. Like he first comes through and she's in this inn, right? And then she wakes up and sees that he's been watching her sleep. And at one point in that conversation, he's like, you know, I could steal a kiss from you. And she's like, okay. And you're like, this is weird. And you're yeah, like, what's what going on fuck, with you? my guy? But I think it's it's just all a performance for him. Like mm-hmm. up until he gets injured, right? It's just all like, this is what a man is supposed to be. I'm supposed yeah. to be a man. I'm supposed to be attractive to women and take my, you know, have my way. And there's this scene where he starts spanking her and he's like, you're a child and I'm a man. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> okay, such, we it's get just, it. It's very interesting to me. He's a a fascinating guy. And that scene where he's their first meeting each other. I love a little back and forth when you're first meeting him and they're talking about the guy that he's been tracking and she's been tracking him. And Mm -hmm. Matt Damon says about him, he's a crafty one. And she says, I found him slow witted myself. And he's like, that's his act. And she says, it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a point in that conversation where she's like, so are you like, a lawman or something like basically what the fuck are you doing here and he's like i'm a texas ranger and he like shows his uh, texas yeah. ranger badge and is like so proud and you're like this he is expects not that her to interesting yeah. yeah and she's like okay okay well, i've hired this marshal so whatever <laughs> it's really good he's a great character yeah i find him fascinating i like him a lot i think mm-hmm. he should have gotten a nomination yeah good old matt damon I will say, so at the end, they're racing to get her back to the doctor mm-hmm. and her horse dies of, ex- well, her horse gets exhausted and then Jeff Bridges puts She's it out of its horse, misery. Yeah. And all I could think of was, they shoot horses, don't they? And they do. Like, oh my God. <laughs> that movie. Yeah. That movie's incredible. <laughs> but we digress. We do. I was sad when that horse got shot, though. I was, I was like, bummed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... It's a great moment because he's riding this horse like well past the time when the mm-hmm. the horse can continue going because he she could die and he needs to get her back. And she's there being like, the horse is tired. We have to stop. And he's like, we're not fucking stopping. Like just him, you know, having to make that choice. And then she's so sad when he kills the horse. And you're like, it had to be done. We're all sad, but you were going to die. I think part of the reading of the ending to me is there's a price for all things. As much as her mm-hmm. vengeance was josh brolin getting his comeuppance she has to pay a price for killing a man as well and it's the loss of her horse and her and her arm yeah yeah yep yep violence man violence it's quite good i think oh and i should say they did a nice little 
the searchers John Ford reference with that silhouette shot, which I every time <laughs> I see that part, now, yeah. I'm like, the only good thing about the searchers. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Should we also mention that a, bar- a baby uh, Donald Gleason is in this movie? Yeah, um, we were yeah. both surprised because when we saw it the first time, we didn't know who Donald Gleason was. And there's yeah. the scene where you're like, Donald Gleason? <laughs> is that is that Donald Gleason? It is. <laughs> it sure is. There he is. He has a tough time, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not having a great day. Anything else about True Grit? No, I like it. I think it's good. Me too. Let's talk about Winter's Bone. Okay, I'm summarizing Winter's Bone. Winter's Bone is about a young girl who is searching for her missing father. And basically what has happened is her dad got arrested. They put up bond for him but the bond that was put up was her house and her land so she needs to find her father to make him report for his court date otherwise they'll lose the house and she's responsible for her two younger siblings who look to be like i don't know like she's 17 her younger brother's maybe like 11 10 12 if that they seem young the little girl's probably like five or six. They're young. Yeah. I have a hard time figuring out how old kids are. Yep. And then her mother seems to have had some kind of severe mental breakdown and is not capable of really much at this stage. So she's going around. She's trying to figure out where her father is. Basically, everyone in the town reports to this older guy named – what's his name? Thumper? Thump, thump uh, yeah. Wilson. Thump, thump Wilson sounds right. <laughs> Something like Thump Wilson, <laughs> who's kind of the patriarch of their community. But everyone is involved in like drug trade and like cooking meth. And so they don't want the cops to know anything that's going on. And they can't have any snitches who might mm-hmm. get them all arrested. And so basically everyone's like, stop asking around. Stop asking around. Stop asking after your father. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to regret it. But she can't because they're going to lose their house. And so she basically gets deeper and deeper into this underworld, eventually getting beaten up by all the female relatives of Thump. But her, her uncle rescues her. And then her uncle's like, listen, he's definitely dead. They killed him for some reason. I can't know who because then I'll have to take revenge. And as long as I don't know, mm-hmm. everything's going to be copacetic. Mm-hmm. But basically, eventually, the the people who are in charge get together and say, like, you know what? We'll, we'll take you to your dead father. You can get his hands so that they can identify that he is dead. And then you will be able to retain your house. And so that's what they do. They take her out into a swamp one night. They cut off the dead father's hands from the swamp and she brings him into the cops and she's like he's dead and the cop's like where'd you get those hands he's like someone threw them at the door i don't know Mm -hmm. and that's the end of the movie that's about it right anything well then her uncle comes by and they finally sort of bonded at this point and in the final scene he tells her that he found out who killed the dad yeah and you're like oh no don't go kill him it's gonna ruin your life yeah (laughs) that's winter's bone I think it's great. Okay. I I kept a cry count on this one. My cry count was six. Wow. (laughs) It's a very emotional experience. This is like Kaylee Steinfeld in True Grit. This is the movie that gave us Jennifer Lawrence. This is her debut. Mm -hmm. She's excellent. It's a very difficult situation she finds herself in. And she's really good. The town is fascinating. The sort of dynamics of this town 
and the rules that need to be followed and the way that the community sort of stands together. Like there are times when she's getting questioned by the police and her neighbors are coming over to be like, you all right, you need anything? And you're like, okay, maybe they're supporting her, but then maybe they're also threatening her. (laughs) It's like hard to navigate all of the things that are happening. There's an early scene when she goes to her uncle for help and he is trying to tell her that she can't, like she shouldn't walk down that road basically, mm-hmm. but he does it in a way that is like very threatening and violent. And you're like, I, this is, I don't know how to feel about the uncle. He ends up becoming actually very interesting throughout the course of the movie. And he is clearly trying to protect her in a way that he knows how, <laughs> which is it's a violent and scary world. And it's interesting to see her navigating it. Cause she's, she's like, a hard scrabble girl, right? Like she grew up here. She knows generally the stuff that's going on and she's not really phased when she runs into the sort of violence that she faces, but it still is like, she doesn't know everything. She's still stumbling her way around trying to figure out how to navigate this situation. And she's doing her best and it's really scary and hard, but she kind of comes out okay at the end. (laughs) I guess she ends up getting money, which is nice. Someone had put up some cash in addition to their house as part of the father's bail. And when the when he dies and they're going to pay the bail back, she gets the money because nobody's going to come claim it. So that's good. Yeah. She gets a little bit of a win at the end. But her raising these kids and taking care of her mother, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. I also really like she'd been thinking about going into the military. And there's a scene where when she really needs cash, she goes to the like army recruitment office or whatever because she knows that they will pay you some amount of money as a signing bonus Mm -hmm. and so she's like what like can i sign up right now and you'll give me the money like this is the only thing she can think of as a solution and that scene i thought was fascinating with the guy trying to be like well how old are you we really can't sign you up without your parents and it gets to this place where she's sort of laid out everything that's going on And he's like, well, I guess you're just going to have to buckle down and go take care of your mother and those kids. And you're like, damn, (laughs) someone somewhere should be calling social services. (laughs) This is a hard situation. But I think it's good. What do you think of it? I like it, too. I do think it's it's a very interesting movie. I think Jennifer Lawrence is excellent. Yeah. I don't think I saw this movie in theaters, but I saw it close to around the time that it came out. Yeah. And that was my main takeaway before she was even, I don't know. Yeah, this is before Hunger Games. I might have seen the first Hunger Games before I saw this, actually. But mm. regardless, she's excellent. She's very she's good. She's very good. Yeah. What a find, Deborah Granick. Yeah, excellent. I don't know. I have a hard time with movies like this because I don't understand how anyone puts up with any of this behavior. Like, they should move. They should sell the thing and they should move. And at the end of the movie, you realize like she sort of adheres to their warped morality that they're living under. Like she's too is like, oh, no, snitching is the worst thing in the world. And you're like, I don't I don't know if it is. I think just like killing people is the worst thing in the world. And part of the problem with this society that you've built is there's no external checks and balances. Right. Like this is a world without sufficient state presence. And I'm like, no, thanks. No, thanks. I'd move. Yeah. So. But it's, I think it's it's well acted. It's an interesting mystery. I think it unfolds in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd just get out of there. Well, I mean, they're lucky to own property, but like a lot of people wouldn't be able to get out of here. They don't have any money. I think people do, though. I think people get out of bad situations with no money all the time. 
Yeah, but it's hard if you are a 17-year-old. I do. I do think think it's hard, but I think it's (laughs) worth it. And like the idea of of raising kids in this environment is like, oh, that's motivation enough. You got to get a better situation for those those little ones. Yeah. I mean, sure. (laughs) That's fair enough. I don't think that's part of how I evaluate the movie, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, I say that to say I have a hard time emotionally engaging Mm -hmm. with these kinds of stories. And it's the same, like, this is going to come up again when we get into watching mobster films. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing of like, why is this the way anyone is living? Because it just is. It's a different culture. It's just how they they work. No, thank you. Seems very stressful. Yeah. Anyway, Winter's Bone. I think it's great. She's so good. I mean, I think it's worth watching. I think it's very good. I think she's excellent in it. I don't know, again, thinking of Matt Damon, that I would have nominated the uncle for this movie. I mean, I think he's excellent. I agree with your argument about Matt Damon, but I do think that John Hawks is really, really good in this. I think he's fine. But, meh. 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 Shall we talk about the winner? The winner? The king's very speech? The king's very speech. Okay, the King's Speech is about King George VI, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. start the movie as King George VI. He is the son of King George V, and he's the second son, so he's not really supposed to become the king. He's the spare to the the heir. Exactly. He lives his life, you know, generally attending some royal functions occasionally, but without a lot of pressure on himself, which is good because he has an extreme stutter, or I guess he calls Mm -hmm. it a stammer throughout. Who knows what the British are up to? The British are always up to something interesting. So he, at the very beginning of the movie, has to give a speech, and it doesn't go well. <laughs> he is unable to read it, and it's like in front of this crowd. The movie's taking place, too, under the advent of radio. Yes. Which is important. Yes. So he's giving this speech in front of a bunch of people. It's a very embarrassing experience for him. Everyone's watching and judging him and it's horrible. But in his mind, he's like, I will just try to avoid these situations in the future because I really don't like giving speeches. Unfortunately, circumstances happen that make it crucial that he be able to give speeches. So his dad ends up dying and his older brother becomes King Edward the Eighth or something like that. Yeah. This is the guy who ends up abdicating the throne because he wants to marry American divorcee Wallace Simpson. So that's mm-hmm. what's going on with his older brother. He's sort of unserious, not really interested in being the king, and he's very, very tied up with this woman, and he, he just has to marry her. He'll give up everything to marry this woman, even though the king is the head of the Church of England, and you can't marry a divorced American. That's crazy. So... All throughout, it's becoming more and more clear that perhaps the second son is going to end up having to become the king. So luckily, his wife has found this very unconventional speech therapist because he's seen all of the more, you know, established speech therapists throughout the land to try to help him with his stutter. So she finds this guy who's recommended to her and they go to him and he says they could only work if he can treat him as an equal. And he does all of these things that no one else would have him do. And he sort of is trying to dig into the psychology of his stutter in a way that nobody else was trying to do. Like the When do you remember it starting? And what are your childhood memories and all this sort of stuff? All very unconventional. So Mm -hmm. they're throughout the movie making some progress. He's getting closer and closer to the guy and he's starting to have some breakthroughs and it's very nice. And then finally, when it, 
the his older brother does abdicate. There's a little bit of well, they'd had a little bit of a fight earlier because the speech therapist was trying to be like, if your brother advocates, you abdicates, you'd be a great king. Like you can do it. And he's like, this is treason. You can't say this, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, <laughs> they end up making up. His brother steps down. It's time. There's going to be the coronation, a big event. He invites the speech therapist there to help him. It comes out that the speech therapist is not actually a doctor, <laughs> which, you know, is kind of embarrassing for the king. But then they they work through because they're friends and he's kind of like i wasn't trying to tell you that i was a doctor you're the one who called me a doctor and my experience is all on the ground and it was working wasn't it basically (laughs) so they end up sorting it out they bond again he becomes king and it culminates in the titular king's speech so world war ii has also been brewing over the course of the movie it's looking like we're going to have to get into the war, unfortunately. And at the very end, war has been declared. And the king, whose basically entire function as a monarch now is to just be the mouthpiece for the people of England. He's got to reassure them. Yeah. So he gets on the radio and he gives an address and it goes really well. And everyone is reassured that things are going to be okay, even though they're not because World War II is about to happen. But he's had there's his, nothing he can do about that. There's nothing he can do at all. His only job is to talk and get yeah. paid exorbitant amounts of money for it. So he does it, though. The king's speech goes well, and everyone is, like, very happy. And mm-hmm. that's that's the end of the movie. What do you think of the king's speech? I think it's nice. Yeah. I think it's a nice movie. I think, you know, we are following this incredibly privileged person, but his traumas are real. Mm -hmm. His dad is horrible to him. He's being teased nonstop for having a stutter and it's, you know, 1930, whatever. That's tough for anyone. No one should be abused as a child. (laughs) No, his childhood trauma is pretty rough. Like they all teased him about his stutter, but he has the stutter because... They've done all sorts of horrible stuff to him. They tortured him for being left-handed and made him right-handed. He had this nanny that would intentionally starve him. And when when yeah. she, they brought him in to see his parents, she would pinch him so he would cry and they wouldn't hold him anymore. Like, fucked up shit was happening to this kid. Right. No amount of privilege protects you from all of that. So yeah. as much as, you know, hey, destroy the monarchy. I don't care. You feel bad for the guy. Yeah. And he has a lovely relationship with his wife and his Mm -hmm. two daughters. Yes, one of whom is uh, the eventual Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. And there's, I just think there's some interesting character moments here. I think we're all really lucky that Guy fell in love with that American divorcee because he was a Nazi sympathizer. And we're all really lucky he didn't become king. I think probably like two falling out is one falling out too many many. for the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's fine. It's nice. It's a nice movie. It's perfectly pleasant. I think Colin Firth is very good in it also. He won Best Actor this year. His performance is very impressive. He is excellent. The scene before he's about to go give the King's speech at the end where he's like trying to rehearse and he's having an anxiety attack and he's like singing and dancing and talking and yelling and like trying mm-hmm. to make it all. He's great. You're like, this is great. He's doing a good job. Colin Firth does deserve the props. Yeah. And I did find I remembered this movie being like probably slightly more insubstantial than it is. I think the scene Mm -hmm. about his childhood traumas works really well. That emotional stuff is great. I mean, you do leave it like by the end, 
he's talking about how this is his only function as a monarch and uh, you're just sort of left being like yeah why do you guys still have a fucking monarchy it's so stupid but it's not really what the movie's about but it does sort of remind you of the like silliness of the stakes of this he's a very interesting person but like yeah. it really is just about whether or not he can give a speech like who really gives a shit people needed to be comforted by yeah, their they were leadership perfectly fucking time. comforted by when Winston Churchill, he could have done the job. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Half of the British people still love the monarchy. Who's to say? Okay. I'm to say. Fuck Everyone the monarchy. Everyone needs to be comforted. We need fireside chats. Yep. We need speeches from leadership that are like, everything's gonna be okay. It's not. Nope. But hey. But hey, at least someone's saying it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that said, I, I think I can acknowledge that it's sort of a, a bit of a who cares, but still a really pleasant movie experience. It's it's well made. I think it's well acted. And, you know, you get your little moment of triumph at the end. Everybody's feeling good about it. Like, good for him. He gave the speech. And he's great. Helena Bottom Carter's his wife. She's great. Jeffrey Rush is the speech therapist. He's great. What's not to like? And it's nice seeing this man, too, who's been very explicitly raised not to emotionally connect with people, get a friend. Yeah, it's it's really a movie about making a friend, which is like, I can't be mad at that. That's very yeah. nice. I like it's to nice. see men making friends. They need friends. They definitely do. We get to see him be vulnerable in all sorts of ways. I thought the scene when he becomes king and then he goes to hug his children and they stop to curtsy was like, oh. oof. I know, that was rough. <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> That's really cool. rough. Yes. Like they have this very lovely relationship. Early in the mm -hmm. movie, one of the ways that they humanize him to start is he tells this bedtime story to the kids about penguins. And it's like very sweet. And clearly they all love each other so much. And then, yeah, he becomes king and he's there in his king regalia. And the kids come up to him and he's ready to hug them. And they're just like, your majesty. And you're like, oh, this is horrible. The monarchy's so fucked. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, yeah, and it's tied in, too, because he doesn't want to be king. He was no. so prepared, both because he's been so traumatized, right, by his dad and his older brother, to never have to take on that responsibility. And he's very overwhelmed by it. He was just, he was perfectly content to just have his family and, you know, do whatever they needed him to do, but not have to be in the forefront. So that it also sort of emphasizes that, like, I don't even fucking want this, man. Yeah. I, the, I One of my notes from one of the scenes in this when it's become clear that he's going to have to be king is I would also cry if I had to be king. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, sounds too relatable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's lovely. I wrote down from when they're prepping for the coronation and he tells the, I don't know, archbishop or whatever yeah, the, it's the guy is, that he wants Lionel, his speech therapist, to sit in the family or his king's box. And he's like, but your majesty, members of your family will be seated there. And he says, that is why it is suitable. And you're like, oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Lovely. It's nice. And I liked Guy Pierce in this movie. He's a real piece of shit. He really is. Woof. But I enjoyed his performance mm -hmm. as that guy. Yeah. Bertie. No, Bertie's, Bertie's is our king. What's the yeah. brother? The brother uh, is Edward David. Edward. Yeah, becomes Edward. Edward his name is, is the David. king, but I was like, what's his name name? His name is David. David. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah, but he honestly, sucks. again, it, we I think we're it's good that he did not become yeah. king because he was a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. And, and as much as the king doesn't have too much power, yeah, you don't you just don't want you, you don't just want don't that. want your king to be a Nazi sympathizer, yeah. generally. It's yeah. not a great idea. 
Not no good luck. And I really like at the end when he's about to go give his speech that Winston Churchill is like, you know, I also had a stutter as a child. <laughs> I, I do that speech nice. impediment. You're People like, oh, are everybody. bonding. Yeah, everyone's going to be vulnerable with each other. So yeah. I think this movie is very lovely. I think it's very easy to watch. I think it's in the category of movies that have suffered because it won Best Picture. Correct. And that's a shame because it's nice and it's got some good performances. Well, and we've said before multiple times, like the things we've talked about in that context have usually been things that are a little bit, you know, milk toast about race issues generally. Yes. Which is like and that's not, not a problem ideal. here. And yeah, there's this movie doesn't have any problems where you're like, it's a little, I don't know about yeah. this. It's just sort of like a pleasant, but not that edgy or, you know, it's, it's just like a movie that everybody can sit and watch and enjoy. Yeah. And the stakes aren't that high, but that's fine. You feel there's good some, watching it. There's some nice moments, some emotional moments. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Okay, so those were our four. We would have still been mad if they had won Best Picture. We only have one that we would not have been mad if it had won Best Picture. Yep. And that's Toy Story 3. Mm -hmm. So Toy Story 3, I'm summarizing this one, right? You just did the King's speech. Okay. Toy Story 3 is, as you might guess, the third Toy Story movie. So we're back with some of our, yeah, we're back with some of our favorite friends, Woody, Buzz, Jesse, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, Rex, the aliens, <laughs> Ham, you know, all of our pals. Mm-hmm. But Andy, who's the kid who owns all these toys, is about to go off to college. And his mom has told him that he needs to sort through his room and figure out what's going to college with him, what's going to go up into the attic because his sister is going to get his room. And so the toys get kind of nervous about this. They're, they're worried that they're going to be thrown away, which is a, a true fear for a toy. Absolutely. And so it ends up being the case that Andy decides that he's going to put the majority of his toys in the attic, but he's going to take Woody with him to college. The little army men have already escaped. <laughs> They've yeah. left. They're like, this is, we're going to get thrown away definitely, so bye. We're out of here. But because of a series of events, he puts all the toys he means to put in the attic into a a garbage bag, and his mom thinks it's garbage, so she puts it out to be taken away. The toys manage to escape from that, but they're convinced that Andy intended to throw them away. Even though Woody tells them otherwise. Woody said, I saw what happened. That's not what happened. He meant to put you in the attic, but he got distracted, and then it was an accident. Yeah. So anyway – They've all snuck into the box that is going to be donated because they think this is actually their best option. And Woody comes along because they're all just in the car together. And they end up at Sunnyside, which is a daycare center. And the toys are told by the toys they meet at Sunnyside that this is a great place. It's like a beautiful retirement home for toys. They get to be played with every day mm. by different children. And when the children grow up, new children come in. What a, what a place to live for a yeah. toy. But Woody's like, we're Andy's toys. We have to get back to Andy. And so he decides to go home and the other toys end up staying. But it turns out that the guy who's the head toy at Sunnyside is not a cool dude. And Mm -hmm. he has actually resigned them to the little kid's room where they are abused and will likely be broken soon and then thrown away anyway. Mm-hmm. Woody, meanwhile, does not quite make it home. He's accidentally picked up by a little girl who is the daughter of the woman who runs the daycare center, and he ends up at her house. And it's lovely, but he meets all of her toys and finds out that Sunnyside is actually an awful place and that the the bear running at Lotso is 
evil. Mm-hmm. And so Woody's like, I got to get back. I've got to save my friends. And so he's able to make his way back to the, the daycare center. The toys have at the daycare center have tried to find their own escape. They've sent Buzz to do some espionage, but unfortunately he's been captured and reset. So he mm-hmm. doesn't remember them. But Woody makes it back. They all try to plan their escape together. They get caught by Lotso, but eventually convince Lotso's number two big baby that Lotso is really the reason they've all been suffering. They all accidentally end up in the garbage together and then have to escape the dump, almost being incinerated in a scene that is like a lot. The the incineration scene is a lot. Luckily, they're saved by the aliens and the claw. The claw. claw. And eventually they're able to make their way back to Andy's house in the donation box. And Andy looks at them and says, do you really think that these toys should be donated to the mom? And the mom's like, it's up to you. And he ends up taking it to the little girl's house we met earlier and passing them on, including Woody, who the little girl recognizes as her cowboy. And, you know, it's time to grow up and put away your toys and, and give them to the next person. And America and wept. And it's beautiful. <laughs> It's so I, good. I think if everyone in the Academy voters was like, we are born smack dab in the middle of the millennial generation. So we were like, mm-hmm. what, like six or seven when the first we were Toy six Story when came the out? The first one came out. And mm-hmm. then we were 21 when this yes. one came out. This one came out this summer in between our junior and senior year of college. College. Yeah. Pretty close to the perfect age. Like you could not be a more perfect age to watch this series of films and go on this journey. So yes, I think if the voting body were people our age and our parents, yeah, 100% going Toy Story 3. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was me sitting next to my parents in the theater and we're all crying. (laughs) I was on on campus that summer doing my thesis research and I went to see it with some of my friends who were also on campus and also all of us. Just a bunch of adults. Yep. 21 years old. Well, we were, about to, we were about to graduate college and go off and yeah. like actually become adults. No, thank oh. you. Uh, no, thank I don't you. like it. Yeah. So if that had been the voting body, no way this doesn't win Best Picture. But uh <laughs> wasn't the case. So anyway, tell me about your thoughts about Toy Story 3. I'm just I mean, talking and talking. It's a masterpiece. It's the the nostalgia factor is its own thing. And as you said, it's very hard to separate <laughs> that from it because for mm-hmm. us, it's like Toy Story 1 was your childhood. And then now you're watching this movie about setting aside childish things and becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm not ready. <laughs> and so it, it just works perfectly emotionally. But also the movie is just damn good. The structure of it is excellent. The stakes are unbelievable for a movie about a bunch of children's stories. There's so much peril in this movie, it's wild. (laughs) Yeah. And as these movies have gone on and everyone's sort of grown with them, there have become more and more kind of sort of existential stakes in these movies. Like, the fourth one is entirely about a midlife crisis, which is like, that's (laughs) a wild thing for an adult movie or a kid's movie to be about. But for this one, yeah, the, the sort of deciding what matters to them and what they want their lives to be and whether or not their you know devotion to andy is is enough or if they should try to live lives for themselves basically and then just like the as you mentioned the incineration scene holy shit they you're sure they're gonna die and you're like they can't kill a bunch of toys in this movie can they (laughs) i don't know i never know with pixar what they can do And then once you've like you've been through that and it's incredibly harrowing and you survive Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, we made it. And then the final scene where he gives away his toys, like, 
I'm a mess. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm sobbing scene, throughout the whole thing. Yeah, as soon as he stop, like as soon as it becomes clear that he's gone to Bonnie's, just like can't see through the tears. Well, just just <laughs> knowing that like the toys just want to be played with, and they get yeah. they get their kid to play with them one last time. Well, it's yes, everything about it is gorgeous. Him playing with yeah. them one last time is beautiful, but also him understanding that like a toy is meant to be played with right mm-hmm. and he would love to hang on to these forever so that when he's 50 years old he can pull them out of the attic and be like oh i had good times as a kid but that's not what they're for they're for playing and he he understands that and he gives them selflessly to this girl who's going to get so much joy out of them and it's, mm-hmm. it's fucking beautiful <laughs> it's just a gorgeous ending of a movie oh my god toy story three it's emotional. It works for kids. It works for adults. It's steep, but also just like light fun. and fun. What's not to like? It's a great mm-hmm. goddamn movie. Yeah. And you have all your old favorites. And I love all of the new toys they introduce, right? Mm-hmm. I love Ken. Big Baby is a fascinating and terrifying toy. But that toy feels so real because like everyone either had one of those or well, saw one of those. Also, the detail right? of its one eye is kind yes. of messed up now. It's like that happened to every baby every doll where baby the blinking doll stopped working properly. On one of the eyes. Yeah. Yes. You're like, perfect detail. And then it becomes like, it doesn't have the onesie or whatever. Mm -hmm. Those dolls, in my memory, always ended up having like pen written all over the legs and stuff. Like, (laughs) it was just. Yeah, it gets roughed up for sure. Yeah. And I love all of Bonnie's toys that we meet the little hedgehog who's theatrically trained. He's great. (laughs) And the new dinosaur who's Christian Shawl, who's great too. Mm-hmm. And they're all lovely. All of Bonnie's toys are are very lovely. Well, and Rex gets to have a dinosaur friend at the yeah, end. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> and yeah, and then they're able to also reform Sunnyside. So it's actually, you know, good for everyone. They tag in now who has to play with the little kids for a little bit. So they're not just shunting toys right. to suffer and be broken. Mm-hmm. They're sharing the load of the rough play of these yeah. very small children. But Yeah. I love, I love Woody. I mean, who doesn't love Woody? Tom Hanks has had a lot of amazing characters in his career, but there's just something really special about Woody. Ongoing perfect casting. When he says so long, partner, at the end, come on. No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is a movie that has you tearing up various times. When he leaves them all there at the daycare, I was crying. And it's like. I'm crying at the beginning of this movie when we're seeing the flashbacks of Andy as a young kid getting all these toys and playing with these toys. My first note was, I was already tearing up at the opening montage to You've Got a Friend in Me. Oh my god, yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, him leaving them at the daycare. And he has to leave Bullseye. Bullseye wants to come with him. And he's like, I can't leave you alone in the attic, Bullseye. You've got to stay with your friends. (laughs) Oh, man. It's so good. And I always love the return of the claw. Yes. Oh, I mean, the fact that that the aliens use the claw to save them. I mean, that's just great. What a great callback. Also, when Bonnie finds Woody and takes him home the first time and she leaves his hat on the ground because it's not on his Mm -hmm. head. Like, I was bereft about him being (laughs) separated from his hat. hat. (laughs) Yeah. No, luckily he gets it back, although it's used as a, a tool to say he's gone. I love when Mr. Potato Head's arms are separated from his body and he uses the tortilla as a body. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I love the device that Mrs. Potato Head has left an eye behind, and so they're able to still see into Andy's room. That's genius. It's good storytelling. Oh, here's another thing that made me cry. Hmm. When Woody realizes that the mom has accidentally thrown away the toys and he calls the family dog in and the family dog is, is also old. so old. <laughs> <laughs> Time passing. Everyone's growing older. It's really rough. Yeah. It's really man. rough. Man, oh, man. I also think that the, the like villain backstory is pretty good in this. Yeah. The reason that Lotso has become evil, they, you find out, is he was very close with his original child. child, and they loved each other. The story they tell is like, I've never seen a child in a toy closer than the two of them. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. one day, the girl accidentally leaves him and the couple of other toys behind on like a day out in the country, and they hike back to find her through like miles of wilderness basically and they're all fucked up and like dirty and they finally make it home and by the time they get there she's replaced him with a new lotso and you're like it's your classic steven spielberg hook or catch me if you can moment where someone looks through a window at their parent yep and sees they have a new family they have a new family and they're just like rejected yep it's his villain origin story. So like, I get it, man. That's fucked up. So what are you supposed sad. to do? You've been replaced. Mm. Mm. He's not cool, though, Lotso. No, his ending is quite His ending's quite dark. Yeah, well, he does try to murder them, basically, so he it's does, fine. Yeah, he could have stopped the incinerator, but yeah. he very actively well, chose not they to. They save his life. Yeah. Then he has a chance Multiple to times. Save. Yes. Multiple times they save his life because Woody is just like a great fucking person and they save Lotso even though he's tried to, you know, keep them chained up basically. And then he has a chance to stop the incinerator and he's like, bye suckers. (laughs) He just leaves. And you're like, you're a horrible person. There's no Mm -hmm. redemption for Lotso and that's why it's okay that he gets murdered. (laughs) He doesn't get murdered. He gets tied to the front of a truck for eternity. Well, yeah. I mean... It's it's dark. <laughs> it's dark. Yeah, again, we're in a place. Family film. It's it's basically perfect. It's emotional. It has things to say about the world. Mm-hmm. It's a better coming-of-age story than American Graffiti. Get that thing off the AFI Top 100. Replace it with Toy Story 3. Those kids are going off to college. I don't care. Yeah, nobody gives a shit about those kids <laughs> maybe going off to college. Did I sob at American Graffiti? No, I did not. No. Kick it out. Put Toy Story 3 in. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 1 is already on the AFI, but bump that up. Bring on Toy yeah. Story 3. Stick Toy Story 2 on there, too. I don't Why care. Why not? These people are afraid of feeling love in their hearts. I don't care. <laughs> Put it in there. Put it in there. It's wonderful. I love it. I assume most people have seen it, but if you haven't, fucking watch. Yeah. It's good. So what should have won? I think we have an answer to that question. It's Toy Story 3. Did the Oscars get it wrong? Yes. Yes, they did. Because it should be Toy Story 3. Yeah. Would this be your top five if if this was a five nominee year? So we said that we were sticking to the 10 because they are the 10. Yep. But I, I got a ringer. She's got a ringer. I think... 
How to Train Your Dragon, which also came out this year. Loses to Toy Story 3 in the animated category. Fair I'm not enough. quibbling with that. Yeah. I'm not quibbling. But do I like How to Train Your Dragon more than Winter's Bone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I saw this movie also with a friend in college. This was like right towards the end of the semester that this one came out. And I think we had the experience that people who loved Avatar had yes. when they watched Avatar, where we left and were like, we're flying. We're flying around on the wings of a creature. <laughs> this is magical. Well, it's funny that you say that because when we talked about Avatar 2, the stuff that I – that I if I enjoyed it, the stuff that I liked yeah. the most in Avatar 2 was the stuff that is basically just how to train your dragon, like bonding right. with the animal and learning how to, in this case, swim with it <laughs> as opposed to fly. And I was like, that's that stuff's good. The rest of yeah. it sucks. But, like, this is what people – supposedly we're going through when they watched the first avatar right no that was the experience we had with how to train your dragon it's a beautiful film it's super well made toothless is an amazing invention of a character yeah i love it so it's great. and how to train I would, your dragon too is great too yeah we talked about that one so i might i might switch out some nominees in real life and slot this in would these be your top five there's another movie i would just want to mention this year but i don't think i would move it into my nominees yeah I think in my top five, there's going to be space for the social network. Mm -hmm. But this is a good top five. And I think Toy Story 3 should win. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that's the take home. No matter the top five. So the other movie that I really do love from this year, I don't think it's great. But honestly, it's probably my favorite Martin Scorsese movie that I've seen to date. You like this more than The Departed? Yes. Okay. I haven't seen Shutter Island. You have not. And you tried to ruin it for me one day. I Uh, think I made it a thousand (laughs) times better. I don't know what you're talking about. We were jointly playing a Sporkle quiz and Maddie was doing the typing and she accidentally typed. Well, she wrote in the title and it didn't go through. And we were like, what's happening? And we realized she typed Shutter Island. And (laughs) (laughs) and I've been laughing about it ever since. (laughs) I don't know how you could say I ruined it when I've given you hours of laughter. The thing with Shutter Island that is so wild is there's so much narrative overlap between it and Inception. So the lead is Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. It is about a man who can't tell what is real and what is not real. Mm -hmm. And he is being haunted by memories of his dead wife and something to do with these children that he's trying to get back to. And there's like a ton of anagrams in this movie. So there's sort of like little puzzles throughout and you're going through and you're trying to figure out like, What's going on? What's happening with this guy? And then there's, you know, an ambiguous ending where you're like, I'm not quite sure. What did Mm -hmm. he do? What was the resolution? But it's a lot of fun. Inception is such an interesting, again, like original idea. And the whole going into the dreams is novel. I don't think there's anything particularly like novel or groundbreaking about Shutter Island. This was apparently Leonardo DiCaprio's preoccupation of 2010. (laughs) And I I also think, right, like they couldn't nominate Inception and Shutter Island and Black Swan, which are all movies where people are like, what's real? What's actually going on? It'd be too much. Yeah. But it's fun. Well, maybe they should have replaced Black Swan with Shutter Island. Two Leos? Two Leos who are like, what's real? Am I losing my mind? What happened to my wife? What happened (laughs) to my wife? All right. Excellent. That's the sort of other things from the year to talk about, but it doesn't cover the most important part of the podcast Mm -hmm. where we take a trip down the lane. To Jake Gyllenhaal Corner. Now, the man's alive. It's 2010. Yeah, it's 2010. He's a working actor. He's well, got to have much so. something going on. What are his films this year? 
he was in two films this year. One is Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, <laughs> and the other is Love and Other Drugs. Now, you've seen Love and Other Drugs. I've yeah. seen Prince of Persia, so we can both speak to it. Yeah. Should he have been nominated for Love and Other Drugs, Maddie? Uh, no, I think it's a perfectly pleasant movie. It's like one of those movies that straddles being rom-com and being more serious. So there's mm-hmm. some sort of interesting stuff going on, but it's not, you know, he's it's fine, but it's not one of his best performances or anything. Mm-hmm. What about Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time? I'm going to have to go with a no on that one. <laughs> we should acknowledge once again, should Jake have been cast to play a Persian questionable not ideal questionable (laughs) the movie itself was fine i think i the only thing i remember from it really is there was a an ostrich race scene that's fun how that fit into the plot couldn't tell you Mm -mm. alfred molina's there he's running it that's great okay i like alfred molina what else happened in the movie? I don't know. They were trying to they were trying to get another, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean going this year. They had this one and the Sorcerer's Apprentice and neither it just one didn't of them work. took. No. Well, you can't so win them no. All. no Jake this year. A none for Jake. Okay. So let's get to our little conclusions. Are we gonna come back to any of these movies? That's a great question. Toy Story Three, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. I gotta, I gotta be ready to cry, which is always an interesting headspace to get into. But uh-huh. it's great. I'll watch Inception again. I'd watch True Grit again. Mm-hmm. It's fun. If the King's Speech were on, I might watch a bit of it. I love Colin Firth, and he's okay. good in it. I like seeing him. I mean, most of these mm-hmm. movies are things that I would not be opposed to watching again. There's the sort of things where, like, if somebody hadn't seen the... As hap- as has happened in our life, you hadn't seen The Fighter, I was like, I mm-hmm. like The Fighter, and we watched it. So clearly yeah. I'd watch it again. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, I mean, I think probably I won't be watching Black Swan again. Why would you watch the films of your nemesis? If, exactly. you absolutely have to. Exactly. Only when forced will I watch the films of my nemesis. I... I mean, probably wouldn't go out of my way to rewatch The Kids Are All Right. I mean, I've obviously I've seen Inception multiple times, even though I'm not like the biggest, biggest fan. These are mostly pretty good movies, I think is my takeaway from 2010, which we haven't <laughs> yeah. said yet. I mean, I, I thought, like I said, 127 Hours was good. I don't know that yeah. I want to watch it again. No. But I've seen it twice, and I'm fine with that. Like, if yeah. 10 years from now somebody wants to watch it, I'm going to be like, yeah, sure, it's good. <laughs> Like, I don't, it's not a punishment. So, I don't know. I feel pretty good about this year, for the most part. Have we learned anything? I I think the King's Speech feels like, right down the middle, exactly what we would have expected from an Oscar movie. So, I don't know that we've learned anything, but but this is about what we expected. Yeah, and I think probably like the most interesting thing about this year is the fact that there was a one to one matchup with like a averaging of critical reviews. Yeah, everyone in the world said these are the 10 best movies and the Academy was like, we agree. Sure. (laughs) If you guys say so, we'll nominate them. Which is interesting. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that before. No, we usually have pretty severe quibbles with the nominations. And as much as I will sub in How to Train Your Dragon, like. It's fine. Yeah. Let's look at our patterns. Do we have any angry white guys? I think so- the, social network. Yeah, there's some toxic masculinity running through all of the social network. 
Matt Damon is performing something. Masculinity, for sure. But yeah, I think those are the angry white guys. We have, in a twist, no biopics. Yay. A lot of stuff based on real people, but no true biopics. Our, as we call them, soup to nuts biopics. (laughs) How are we for original ideas? It's a mix this year, as it often is. We've got four original ideas, which means six non-original ideas. The original ideas this year are Black Swan, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, and The King's Speech. Although, again, that one is based on a real guy. so Yes, but not based on a book written by a real guy. So right. it gets to be original. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 127 Hours is based on a book. The Fighter is based on the documentary that you see in the film. The Social Network is based on a book. Toy Story 3 is existing IP. And Winter's Bone, oh, True Grit is a remake. And Winter's Bone is also based on a book. All right. Now, let's get to a new, newer segment of the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, we have this ranking that we're maintaining of the best, best pictures. So we need to slot uh, the King speech in somewhere amid these best pictures. Yes. So we're not going to read through our current full, no. we've got what, 24 movies right now? You can find it right on now? our Instagram. You can find the graphic on our Instagram. So head over there. My instinct is saying 11, 12, 10, 11, 12. That's about there. the neighborhood I'm in. The, the thing that stood out to me as being closest to it was in the heat of the night. So I think the 10, 11, 12 neighborhood is correct. I think I like it less than Argo. Mm-hmm. Do you like it more than In the Heat of the Night? I might like it more than In the Heat of the Night, but I think you liked In the Heat of the Night more than me. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to factor that in. <laughs> well, how, where do you, what does it sit for you? I think I like In the Heat of the Night more, but I don't feel super strongly about it. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel pretty equivalent about them. So if you like In the Heat of the Night more, let's put it at 11. Oh, wow. Congratulations. The King's Speech, our new number 11. You're in the top half. It's pretty good. 11 of 25. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. Despite what you've heard, it's fine. It's nice. Colin Firth is good. Colin Firth is good. He doesn't get enough respect. People think of him as like a, you know rom-com guy or something i've said it before i'll say it again we'll say it in the episode but not to go back to shakespeare in love he's one of my favorite parts of that movie he's great he's great i mean all the most horrible people are the best parts of that movie ben affleck colin firth they're great Mm -hmm. okay i feel good about this i feel good about this what are we talking about next time Next time, we're talking about the 52nd Academy Awards or the films of 1979 going back to the 70s, one of your favorite decades. Yay! The nominees that year were All That Jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, Kramer versus Kramer, and Norma Ray. Mm-hmm. Which of these have you seen? I have only seen Breaking Away, and hmm. not for many years. But I used to live in Bloomington, Indiana, the setting of the film, yeah. so very exciting to revisit. Cool. How about you? None. I've seen zero of these films. They'll all be new to me. Very excited. I'm psyched about this one, though, because there's a lot of, like, movies that people are always talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't wait to watch them. 
I'm hoping that they're all going to be very good. My expectations couldn't be higher. 1979's going to let me down. It should be interesting. There's some real iconic films in this group. So we'll see how that goes. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, if you have comments, questions, or concerns, please reach out to us at OscarsWrongPod at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at OscarsWrongPod. And check out our website, OscarsWrongPod.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. New episodes come out every other Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. 